0: Well, good evening, everyone. Amen. It's good to be back again as we meet together to worship God. Um, just before we turn to scripture, perhaps um, a few of you have been asking at different times, you know, what exactly next year is going to entail for me. Um, so it's probably best if I tell you it all now. Um, well, I'm sure both Dean and myself uh, would really appreciate uh, your prayers for next year as we go into college full time. Um, Induction week starts the 9th of September and so classes will commence the 16th of September and then we have the commencement service on the 24th of September in Green Island Baptist um which you would all be more than welcome to but really it's college is closed for classes on Fridays um, so Monday to Thursday um four days a week we're going to be looking um different uh issues different uh books of the Bible and things different classes different lectures um and I think neither of us are under any illusion. It's going to be hard work. Um, So we would really appreciate uh, your prayer and support. Um, And I just want to say thank you for your prayer and support for me personally. Um, Over the last two years as I've completed the internship and now the access course, it seems like no time ago that I was up here um, telling you that I was going to start the internship. So thank you for your support. But let's continue in this attitude of worship as we study God's word together tonight. And so if you have a Bible with you, Could you turn please back to the book of 1st Peter that we're in this morning? Um, We're going to be in 1st Peter chapter 2. So this morning we looked at the first half of 1st Peter 1 and now we're going to look at the first half of chapter 2. Um, Philip read one one or two of these verses at the table as well this morning. 1st Peter chapter 2 and we'll read the first 10 verses. But now you have received mercy. Amen. Uh, The first chapter that we looked at this morning, uh, we talked about the hope that we have as Christians. And then later in that chapter, uh, while we didn't look at it this morning, it talks about how we're called to be holy in the later verses of that chapter. This passage we've read tonight also tells us that we are to be holy. But it also tells us that Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation, of our faith. So as we look at this passage together, we'll see three things, hopefully. In the first three verses, we'll see God as a good father. In verses 4 to 8, we see God as a firm foundation. And then in verses 9 and 10, we see God as a merciful father. We see God as a good father, a firm foundation, and a merciful father. So let's look firstly then at how God is a good father, as we see in verses 1 to 3. A father of any description, they care for their children, don't they? They want to see them grow up strong. See, God is our heavenly father. He's no different. He wants to see us, as his children, go from strength to strength. And just like we need food to grow physically and to stay strong, so it is with our lives in a spiritual sense. We need to be fed by God's word in order that we may grow spiritually. So I think there's an obvious question arises from that which we need to ask ourselves, each one of us. How's your appetite? How's your appetite this evening? How's my appetite? Peter is likely referring in verse three to Psalm thirty four, verse eight, where it says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. As Christians here this evening, how is our appetite? Do we long as newborn babies long for their physical food? They cry out for it. Do we cry out for our spiritual food? The story is told of a young French girl born blind who learned to read by touch. A friend gave her a braille copy of Mark's gospel which she read so often that her fingers became numb and insensitive. In an effort to regain her feeling she cut the dead skin from the ends of her fingers. Tragically, this dead skin was replaced by even more insensitive scar tissue. She sobbingly gave the book a goodbye kiss, saying, farewell, farewell, sweet word of my heavenly father. And as she kissed that book, she discovered that her lips were even more sensitive than her fingers had been. And so she spent the rest of her life reading the greatest treasure that she had with her lips. What a challenge that should be to each of us. The desire that this young girl had to read the word of God. Do we have that same desire? She longed for her spiritual food. She craved it. And her lack of eyesight, that wasn't going to stop her. That wasn't going to stop her reading God's Word. She compromised. And then, when her fingertips became numb and insensitive, she found another way to read the Bible. She wasn't going to let anything stop her from getting her spiritual food. Are we as Christians like that? Or do we starve ourselves? Do we malnourish ourselves by going weeks and maybe even months without reading and meditating? On God's Word. It's a challenge for each one of us, myself included. How much time alone do we spend with God? How much time alone do we spend with God? The God who gives us every single breath in a 24 hour day. A day that consists of 24 hours has 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. How much of that time do we give back to God? Out of those 1,440 minutes, why do so many of us, if we're honest, why do we so often find it so, so difficult to give back even 15 of those minutes? 15 minutes just to spend a few moments reading his word, thinking about it, and praying to him. 15 minutes in that 24-hour day, it's only 1.04% of that total day. of your day. Even giving back 1% to God. And yet so many of us, if we're honest, struggle to do it. The reality is we should be striving to spend as much time as possible immersed in God's word. But why? If we're honest, to so many of us, myself included, we struggle to spend 15 minutes in it. 15 minutes in a day. He's a good father. And a good father has time for his children and wants to hear his children talk to him and he wants to spend time with them. God is no different with us as Christians here this evening. He wants us to spend time with him to long to be fed by the spiritual food of his word. He's a good father but I wonder is he your father? Secondly, in verses 48, we see that God is a firm foundation. This passage describes us as being living stones. Look at what verse 5 says. Now, ultimately, Christ was rejected by men, and he was the ultimate chosen one. But we too, we're going to be rejected by men for following Christ. We can rest in the assurance, however, that we're precious in the sight of God. We're precious in the sight of God. And that ties in with what we looked at this morning. When we were looking at the first chapter of this letter where Peter describes us as being elect excellence We're truly a privileged people. We're chosen by God. We're precious to him. But What does he mean when he says we are living stones? Well, we are like living stones in the sense that as believers, we make up God's new temple. His spiritual house as he, by the presence of his Holy Spirit dwells within each one of us. In the Old Testament, the temple was seen to be the place where God dwelt. And that is why the picture of living stones is used here. The fact that we're living stones making up this house, it displays the house itself, it's growing. It's still growing. God's kingdom is advancing. This house is a special house for many reasons. One of those reasons is that it has Christ as the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone. For any builders here this evening, you don't need me to tell you what a cornerstone is or what the significance of it is. It's the stone, like the name suggests, laid down at the corner, where two walls meet a stone that is absolutely integral to the structure of the building. This is where we see God as our firm foundation, as this passage describes God the Son as being the cornerstone. The second half of verse 7 quotes Psalm 118 verse 22 which says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The builders, the psalmist is describing here, the builders, they're supposed to be the knowledgeable ones when it comes to building a structure of some sort. And yet for some reason here, they've deemed this particular stone unfit for purpose. They say it's unfit for purpose and yet this verse is pointing out They've got it all wrong. Isaiah tells us that Jesus was despised and rejected by men. He was rejected, and yet now we see he has become the cornerstone. For those of us who are Christians, he has become the foundation upon which our faith is built. The importance of a good foundation cannot be overemphasized. Ravi Zacharias, some of you will know him, um, he's a preacher. He goes around lecturing at some universities as well. He speaks of doing a lecture several years ago at the Ohio State University. As he was being driven to the lecture, they passed what was then the new Wexner Art Center. The driver commented, "This is a new art building for the university. It's a fascinating building designed in the post-modernist view of reality." And Zacharias went on to describe the fascinating building and he said, The building, it is no pattern. Staircases lead to nothing, they go nowhere. Pillars support nothing. The architect designed the building to reflect the postmodernist view of life. It went nowhere and was mindless and senseless. Zacharias said, I turned to the man describing it and I asked, Did they do the same thing with the foundation? The man laughed and answered, you can't do that with a foundation. See, regardless of what was built on top, regardless of what the building was like, in this case it reflected postmodernism and as a result it had a strange and seemingly senseless design. Regardless of all of that, the foundation had to be firm. Regardless of what's happening in your life, regardless of all the stuff on top, is Christ your firm foundation? Are you building good works, high church attendance, all of that? Are you building all of that stuff on top of a weak foundation which ultimately will crumble and give way? Or is your foundation God and his word? What's your foundation in life? What are you relying on to get to heaven? Remember, the Bible tells us clearly how many ways there are to heaven tells us clearly there's one way. John chapter 14 verse 6, a very well-known verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is he your foundation? Thirdly and finally, verses 9 and 10, we see God as a merciful Father. It is because of the mercy and the grace which he has shown us that we are able to call him Father in the first place. It's because he shows us mercy in not giving us what we deserve, which is eternal punishment for our sin. Then he shows us grace by giving us what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness and acceptance into his family if we trust in him. I didn't know what him Stephen was picking this evening. Um, I already had this illustration written down. Robert Robinson had been saved out of a life of sin through George Whitfield's ministry in England. Shortly after that, at the age of 23, Robinson wrote to him, which we sang tonight, Come thou fount of every blessing. One of the lines says, Streams of mercy never ceasing. Sadly, Robinson wandered far from those streams. And like the prodigal son, journeyed into a life where it was all about him. A self-centered life. And one day, he was traveling by stagecoach. He was sitting beside a young woman. She was really engrossed in this book that she was reading. She ran across a verse and she thought to herself that she would share it with him. She didn't know Robert. She thought she should share it with him. She ran across this verse, she thought it was beautiful and showed it to him and she said, what do you think of this? And it read this, prone to wonder, Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Bursting into tears, Robinson said, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I could enjoy the feelings I had then. Although greatly surprised, she reassured him that the streams of mercy in this song still flowed. Mr. Robinson was deeply touched and there he recommitted his life to the Lord. Those streams of mercy, they still flow for you and for me this evening. God is still a merciful father. According to verse 9, we are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We, those of us who are Christians, we are special. We're chosen by God and loved by him. Now this is not something to be arrogant about. It's not something to be arrogant about. However, we should realize how privileged we are that we're chosen. God knew before the foundation of the world that I, Luke Keyes, would be standing here at this very pulpit, in this very building, on the 4th of August 2019, a sinner saved by grace preaching in this very passage. God knew that before the world. He chose me before this world was made. And those of us who are Christians here this evening, surely that must fill your heart with joy. Not only that, it must fill us with a sense of urgency to go. Must fill us with that sense of urgency to go and share it with others. Those who haven't heard, to those who haven't yet believed. There's a common argument well, if God knows everything, and if God knows who's going to be saved and who isn't, then I don't need to do anything. I don't need to do anything. That's wrong. God chooses to use us in His plans, and surely we should want to be involved in leading others to Christ. Because surely there's no greater joy. You know what CF camp that I helped out at there? Um, there's a wee girl saved the first week at junior camp, and there's a young fella saved in um, myself and Matthew's quiet time group um, the second week, and to see the joy that that young fella had. 15 years of age, he recognised how special a day it was for him. The night he got saved, um, some of the fellows in the dorm, his friendship group, they were all saved, and they had been praying for him, so for them it was a real encouragement. They'd seen how God answered prayer. But we were, some of the leaders were standing outside the toilets talking, and um, a few of the lads from the dorm they came running past with this guy up on their shoulders. And he, was running, or he they were running down the corridor and he was hand up in the air. It's a special day for me. I thought, wow. You know, that young man, he recognized how special a day it was. He was filled with that joy. Surely there's no greater joy than seeing someone come to Christ. John Stott writes, the doctrine of predestination promotes humility, not arrogance, assurance, not apprehension, responsibility, not apathy, holiness, not complacency, and mission, not privilege. You see, this whole concept of God's having chosen us is not an excuse for not evangelizing, rather, it's a reason to go and do it question that is often asked is why am I here? What's my reason for existing on this earth? Well, Do you want to know the purpose for your life? Do you want to know the reason that you exist? Well I'm going to tell you to read verse 9. Second half of verse 9. And then what do you do? Go back and read it again. And again. And again. Ingrain that into your head and grain that into your memory. That is what we are, those of us here this evening who are Christians, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is why you exist. It isn't to be successful in farming or business, or have a good career, well, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. Piper says, we exist not to call attention to ourselves, but to God. See, that's the reason for our existence, is to glorify him. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You and I were made to glorify God, or as this verse puts it, to proclaim his excellencies. But we don't do that just in what we say. We do it in the way we act, the way we live out our faith day by day before others. Research experts tell us we communicate only 7% using our words, 35% with our tone of voice and 58% with our actions. See, actions truly do speak louder than words. Our actions matter. As a Christian here this evening, that's surely a challenge to us. In our school, in our college, in university, workplace, in our homes, out on the street, wherever we are day to day, do we live out our faith? Are we that shining light representing Christ? Do people sit up and take notice and say, wow, there's something different about them. Because we have a good Father who is our firm foundation but is also our merciful Father. But I ask the question again now that I asked earlier. Is he your Father? 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Those of you here this evening who are Christians, who have asked for forgiveness, who have turned from your sin, then scripture says clearly, You are a child of God. As we said earlier, that gives us reason to rejoice and it gives us a message to share and one that we're called to share with urgency. Those of you here tonight who are not, those streams of mercy are still flowing. God is a merciful God who loves you. He displayed his love for you And he sent his one and only son to the cross to die in your place and to die in my place. Perfect God became man, lived a perfect life and went to that cruel death on the cross for you and I. He took the punishment that you deserved so that you could go free. The punishment for the sin that you do every single day whether it's in thought, word, or deed. What you have to do is believe in your heart that he died for you and rose again. Ask him to forgive you for your sin and he promises that he will. Then you can know that hope and that assurance of heaven when you die. As we talked about this morning, you will have that inheritance in heaven waiting on you. And not only that, but it will change your life forever and you will have him walking with you every single day. Or maybe you think that, look, I can get to heaven my way. I can wait, wait till I'm older. I'll put it off or, no, I think there's another way out. I'll, I'll get there. I, I go to church a lot. Um, I'm not that bad a person. Doing those things simply means you're actively rejecting him. There's no sitting on the fence. Have you come and asked Him for forgiveness? Or are you still in denial? Still going your own way? Still saying, No, God, I know best for my life. We're the self centered people who are obsessed with ourselves. We think that we know best. John chapter 14 verse 6. Remember I quoted it earlier. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no back door into heaven. There's no other point of entry. So I wonder even tonight, will you come to this holy, perfect God and acknowledge your sin before him and ask for forgiveness. And then tonight, you will know that joy that that young fellow experienced at camp. You will know this good God as your firm foundation and merciful Father. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that You are a good God, Lord. I thank you that you're a merciful God and that those streams of mercy are still flowing. And I pray for anyone here who who doesn't know you in that personal way, Lord, um, that you will speak to them even this evening. In your name we pray, amen.